As you've noticed, Pastor Ron and Kay are away today. They are in Indiana. Uh, this was Kay's spring break at school, and so she, uh, they took this time to go to Indiana and to see their kids. A couple of kids, I think Heidi and Peter, have both moved into new homes in the last couple of months, and so they're out there and spending time with their, their children. They're on their way back today, and so you can be praying for them as they travel uh, in these next couple of days. We're going to be in Second Kings chapter 5, if you want to turn there today. Uh, we're going to look at the story of Naaman in Second Kings chapter 5. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, a lot of what I'm, uh, what I'm sharing about today has, has come to me and been reaffirmed to me through the perspectives class. Uh, this perspectives class that we've been doing on Sunday nights has been tremendous for me. It has been, it has been helpful for me just to to really see, as I mentioned before, the preciousness of the gospel, not just for us, but, but the preciousness of the gospel to God um, and his commitment to, to make that happen um, and his commitment to do his part as well as our part and, and to make that happen through all of history. Um, and, and some of those principles are seen in this story. And so that, that's why this had con- continued to come back to me these last weeks as I was thinking about what to share with you this morning. As you know, uh, and we've talked about lots of times in our, in our fellowship, there are pictures all through Scripture, but especially in the Old Testament, there are pictures throughout the Old Testament um, that where we begin to see pictures um, of the gospel, pictures, glimpses of what Christ is going to do for us. And through the Old Testament, those are, those are very prevalent, all the way from the very beginning when, when God uh, kills the first animal and makes skins that cover up uh, the nakedness of Adam and Eve after their sin, that's a picture of what Christ is going to do. There's a, there's a picture in the ark that Noah and his family get on and are rescued from the destruction of the earth through the flood. It's a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of Christ. It's found in a lamb that's killed and its blood is put on the doorways during Passover so that when the angel of the Lord comes through, when the angel of death comes through and he sees the blood that's marking those homes, death does not come on the firstborn that lives in there. That's a picture of Christ. There's pictures of the Gospels right on the edge of the Red Sea when God is a rescuer and rescues the Israelites and makes a way for them where there was no way and rescues them from certain death from the Egyptian army. It's a picture in a boy with a sling facing a giant that seems like there's no way around, and yet the boy defeats the giant. It's a picture of Christ. It's a picture of the gospel. There's lots of different ways that we see that picture and one of those ways is here in Second Kings chapter 5. In the story of Naaman, the picture of the gospel, the picture of what Christ will do for us comes in a healing. It comes in a healing through Elisha to Naaman, healing him from leprosy. We're going to look at it together this morning. So if you're in your Bibles, Second Kings chapter 5, if you're using a pew Bible this morning, it's page 311. The verses, I think, will also be on the screen you can look at today. We're just going to walk through this story verse by verse and kind of get a picture of, of where we're at, where the picture of the gospel that's presented here. Second Kings chapter 5, starting in verse 1, says this. 
Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Right here in this verse, we're just going to start right here with verse number one. This has so much packed into it that we need to understand, to understand, to better understand this picture of the gospel. Naaman, Naaman was a commander in the army of the king of Syria. So, so right away we have this picture that Naaman is not, Naaman is not an Israelite. Naaman is not, he is not a descendant from Abraham. He is not part of the, the, the group that God made that original covenant with. When he, in Genesis 15, when he makes that covenant with Abraham, Naaman is not part of that group. The Israelites are God's chosen people. He's made a covenant with them. He's going to bless them. He's going to save them. And Naaman is not part of that group. That's the first thing that we need to see. Naaman is an Assyrian. He's a commander. He's a, he's a mighty man. He is high. He's a high-ranking official in the Assyrian army. He's a great man. The king of, of Syria loves him. We'll see that in just a little bit. Naaman is part of another, another family, another tribe, another, another people group. Not part of the Israelites. He's a great man. He's an admired man. He is used to people looking up to him, to seeing him, to admiring him. He understands what it means to be a man in charge. That's Naaman. In fact, we get a picture of why Naaman is esteemed so highly in the, in the Syrian country and by the Syrian king is because, because the writer of Kings here tells us he was a great man with his master and high in favor because by him the Lord has given victory to Syria. Get your mind around that. The Lord, the God of Israelites, who has chosen the Israelites as his chosen people, that he has called to, to say, you are mine, I'm going to protect you, I'm going to love you, I'm going to bring a rescuer for the whole world through you. God chose Naaman to help Syria defeat his chosen people. God is sovereign over all things. Everything. God is sovereign over all of it. When there was this battle between the Assyrians and the Israelites, God did not say, I'm going to help the Israelites win. And he didn't say, I'm just going to sit back. I'm going to sit this one out. I, I, I'm not happy with the Israelites right now. They're doing idol worship. They're, they're, they're not obeying me. They're, they're not living righteously. And they have no fear of me whatsoever. And so I'm just not going to help them. God didn't do that either. He didn't just step back, sit it out, watch it happen. No, what we read in Kings is that not only did God not help the Israelites win, not only did he not sit it out, but he helped the other side. He helped the Assyrians win the battle. Now, if you understand your Bible history, you know that at this point, the king of, of Israel, the, the king that lost that battle was King Ahab. He was a horrible king. He was a rotten king. Um, his wife Jezebel was, was a horrible woman. Um, the, the prophets were suffering under her um, and their reign was, was unbelievably horrible. And if you read the story, um, in, in 2 Chronicles 18, it's a good place to find it where Ahab dies. Um, even, even in his death, he, he convinces another king in his alliance to dress like the king so that, uh, when the battle happens, he dresses like a, like just a normal soldier. And he says, the battle's gonna come. I want you to look like a king. I'm gonna go in disguise and, uh, and hides out. Um, he's just, he's just a rotten guy. And the story, if you read it in Second Chronicles, um, uh, an, ar an archer, a Syrian archer, 
pulls back his bow, releases an arrow, and it finds its way right into the, to the armor of King Ahab. And, and the Bible makes it sound like it's random. It, he just happens, it says, to shoot the arrow. That arrow finds its way right through the armor, and King Ahab dies. Now, commentaries will tell you that that, that unnamed archer, when Ahab dies is probably named in 2 Kings chapter 5. His name is probably Nahum. Nahum was the archer that shot the arrow, that killed the king, and he he now becomes highly esteemed by the king of Assyria because he was the man who took down the Israelite king. God is sovereign over all things. And God was sovereign over that arrow, shot from possibly Ahab's bow, and takes down the king of Israel. So we read, he's a great man, he's a commander, he's, he's part of the Assyrian army. Uh, his master loves him, he's in high favor. Because by him, through him, the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, there was no doubt. He was a courageous man. But, it says at the end of verse 1, but, he was a leper. It's a pretty big part, too. He had all these things. He was, a, he was a, a leader. He was loved by the king. He was the guy who killed the king of, of Israel in the battle. Um, he is highly esteemed. He's a commander of the army. He sits right next to the king. But, but, he was a leper. And you know, if you've been around the church for a while, you, know, you understand leprosy. Leprosy was, a, was a, a skin disease or a neurological disease that made, that made the skin begin to wear funny and... And pretty soon the nerve endings don't all connect. And so people who had leprosy then would begin to lose, especially digits, because they couldn't feel what was happening on the ends of their fingers. And so they would get pinched or burned or caught and they would come off. And there was all kinds of nasty things. Leprosy was impossible to get rid of. Once you had it, you had it forever. You, you could not be healed from that. There was no way for that to be healed. It was contagious and so or they thought it to be contagious, and so they would send lepers lots of times out of the community, and they would be ostracized. It was a horrible, horrible disease. It would disfigure the person who had it. There was no doubt that they had leprosy. It was a horrible disease. And Naaman, this mighty man of valor, the king's right-hand man, the one who killed King Ahab, and who the Lord used to defeat the Israelite people, he had leprosy. He's a great man, but he had leprosy. The picture that I need you to see here, that I need you to understand here, is that there is a big but here, and it's not just for Naaman. This big but is for all of us. You see, we don't all have leprosy, we don't all have the skin disease, but we all have a disease that is impossible to get rid of, there's no way around it. It horribly disfigures everything that we are and everything about us. It gets worse and worse and worse and worse and worse until eventually it kills us. The disease, obviously, is sin. You know it, and I know it. Naaman, in this story, has a big butt, and we have... That didn't sound very good... <laughs> We have, we have a disease as well. 
Naaman was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. I don't know how you describe yourself, and you can do it however you want, but unless something changes, we have a horrible disease of sin. We have to be cleansed from it. We have to be restored from it. There's no other way around it. We need to be healed. So, Naaman was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now, Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. The Syrians had carried off a little girl from Israel, and now she was a slave to Naaman's wife. This is a picture that I want you to understand. This is something I've gotten from the perspectives class. In fact, we just talked about it last week. Um, there's four ways that the gospel goes out that, that you can picture here. There's one, the one that we talk about the most often, is voluntary go. I understand the gospel, and so I volunteer to go somewhere else and to share that with those that don't know the gospel. I voluntarily go somewhere else to share the gospel. There's also, though, three other ways that the gospel gets shared as well. There's voluntary go, which is what I just described, but there's also voluntary come. There's, there's the idea that someone who doesn't know the gospel voluntarily comes to a place where the gospel is or to a place where he can hear the gospel. He volunteers to come. He comes on his own volition to a place where he can hear the gospel. We're going to see an, actually an example of that in just a moment. But there's two involuntary ways that the gospel spreads too. There's involuntary come, which means um, someone does not come on their own volition. They, they get... They get taken, they get dragged to from their place where the gospel is not known to a place where it is known. One of the examples that was used in our prospectus curriculum would have been um, the idea of, of uh, slaves would have been picked up in a, in a country in Africa where the gospel was not heard. They would have been put on, on ships. They would have been shipped over to America. And many of them, even though they were part of slavery, would have began to hear and understand and know the gospel. They didn't choose to come. That was not, certainly not, and they didn't choose to be a part of the slavery system. That was totally involuntary, and it was horrific for them. But it was a way that the gospel was spread to them, to those people. Involuntary, come. And then there's the last way is involuntary, go. Um, that's, that's what this is right here. Here's, here's a child. She's a part of the Israelite family. She knows and understands um, the, the work of God through the man of Elisha that we're going to see in just a little bit. But she's captured in a skirmish along the border. Um, she's taken back to Syria, and she does not have a choice in it. She involuntarily goes from a place that knows the gospel to a place that does not understand and know the gospel. An involuntary go, and yet she's faithful to the gospel. An involuntary go. The Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. In verse 3, she said to her mistress, What that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria? He would cure him of his leprosy, she says. She didn't see this girl. She did not see being held captive as God is opposed to me. But instead, she sees her captivity as God is giving me opportunity. 
her suffering was an opportunity for God to be seen, for God to be declared as glorious, for the gospel to ring out, even, even though they don't, they don't even have all those pictures yet. And yet she sees her opportunity while she's dragged away, she's a slave in another place. She sees an opportunity to declare the greatness of God. She says, if only he could go, there's this man that's healed, that, that could heal him, heal him of his leprosy. And in fact, if you know in the Gospels in, in Luke, Jesus talks, about, Jesus talks about this exact story. And he says, he says, no one in Israel was healed of leprosy. That Elisha had never done that. And yet Naaman was the one that was healed, is what Jesus says in, in Luke chapter 4, I believe. She hadn't healed anybody. Elisha hadn't healed anybody of Elbashim, yet this, this woman, under, this girl, understands the power of God. She understands the work that Elisha is doing, and she says, if only, if only Naaman could go and see this prophet, my God will heal him. She has faith. She sees it, and she has faith that he could be cured, even though he never had cured anyone of leprosy. So, in verse 4, Naaman went in, and he told his lord, the king, thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. Tells him the story. This is what she said, that I should go and meet this prophet. And the king of Syria says, go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. And so in verse 5, it says, so Naaman went. So he went. This is the other picture. This is voluntary come. Okay? This is how the gospel gets sent. Naaman, who is in a place where the gospel is not, voluntarily comes to Elisha, voluntarily on his own volition, decides that he's going to go. He's going to, and, and while he's there, he hears or sees a picture of the gospel. He's going to get a picture of the gospel. He's going to be cleansed. He's going to be restored. He voluntarily goes. So he went, it says in verse 5, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothing. Now, if you don't know the math, you can figure out the price of gold and how much all of that is. I did it for you, so don't do it now. It's $3.5 million approximately that Naaman takes with him from the king of Syria. $3.5 million. See, the king puts all of this together. Naaman puts it all together. They haul it on their chariots because they're pretty sure that they can get there when they meet the prophet. They can buy they can buy a healing for Naaman. So he went, taking 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, 10 changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent you Naaman, my servant, that you may clear, cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and he said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. See, the king of the Assyrians... Writes a letter that says, I'm sending to you Naaman, my servant, so that you might cure him of leprosy. You see, the king of Syria, the one that doesn't understand the gospel, who's outside of the covenant that God has made with Abraham, who's, who's on the outside, it's only natural to him that he would think, you know what, if there's this power, it's got to be under the control of the king. The king would have control of it. And if the king cannot do it on his own, he certainly would have control of the one that can and so the king of, of Syria sends Naaman directly to the king of Israelites. 
He says, I know that you would have control over this. You would have power over this. This is, must be under the reign of the king. You should be able to do it. He thought that the blessing or the cure for Naaman would be able to be bought through the king of, his, of the Israelites. The king of the Israelites, though, he gets the letter and he says, Whoa! What is this? Who am I? Am I God? Can I bring dead ones back to life? He tears his clothes and he says, what are we going to do? The Syrian king is trying to start a quarrel with us. He, started, he, he sent his commander of the army over here to, to, to me to do something that I cannot do. And when I cannot do it, then they're going to come in and they're going to attack us. And it's going to be battle between our armies and theirs. What am I going to do? It never crosses his mind that there is a way for Naaman to be healed. And it's right in his own backyard. He never sees it. He never understands it, though it's right there. This girl, the servant, who's now working in in Syria for Naaman's wife, she understood it. In fact, she understood that Naaman would be healed even though no one had ever been healed from leprosy by Elisha. She understood that it would happen if Naaman were to go there. She understood the power and working of God through Elisha. And yet this king was blinded to it. He didn't see it. He couldn't understand it. It never crossed his mind that maybe, maybe there was a way for Naaman to be healed. Instead, he was focused and centered on himself, which is where many of us are in this disease that we have. We're blinded to the truth that's all around us. He was blinded to the truth that was right in his own backyard. He says, Am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider me and see how he is now seeking a quarrel with me. And then our hero steps in. in verse 8. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent a message to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. You see, Elisha, even though the king was, was selfish, was self-centered, was focused only on himself, Elisha breaks into that self-centeredness. Elisha breaks in and says, you can't see this, you don't understand this. In fact, you never even thought about me and what I might be able to do, but, but, send him to me. The gospel breaks in, even in places where we don't expect it, especially in places where we don't expect it. Elisha sends a note, says, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me. That he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. Verse 9. So Naaman, with all of his horses, with all of his chariots, stood at the door of Elisha's house. You get the picture there, right? Elisha, with, he has $3.5 million worth of gold and silver and clothing. He has a whole caravan with him. They march through the city there in Samaria, and they come right to the door of Elisha. This is a very important man on a very important mission. He comes right to the door And in verse 10, it tells us this. Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go, wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. Elisha sends a messenger to tell Naaman. Elisha does not just send a messenger, but Elisha sends a message to Naaman. And the message is this. There's a cure. There is a hope. It does not come from me. Elisha is saying, the prophet is not the one that does the healing. The prophet is not the, I am not the one, Elisha says. 
that will cure you. The message that he's sending to Naaman by sending a messenger to tell him the story is this. There is a healing that can be had for you, but it does not come from me. It only comes from God. He is the one who will do it. From beginning to end, salvation is God's. The cure, the healing, the hope for you comes from God. Beginning to end, it's all him. That's the message that the messenger gives to Naaman. Naaman doesn't like it. In verse 11, he says, Naaman was angry and went away saying, Behold, I thought that he would at least surely come out and stand and call upon the name of his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and, and Farfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all of the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and he went away in rage. Naaman, right away, hears this message and believes it's too small for him. It's too, too little for him. He's belittled by the fact that the messenger comes, that the prophet doesn't come. He's a mighty man of valor. He is an important man. He has this whole caravan that's there. See, he gives lip service to God. In fact, he says, how come, how come he doesn't come out and stand and call upon the name of his Lord, of the Lord, his God? Why does not Elisha come out and call upon his name? He, he gives lip service to God, Naaman does, but what he really wants, he does not want the power of God. What he really wants is some magical incantation that Elisha comes out and waves a magic wand over his skin and boom, he's healed. There's a lot of times in our life where that's exactly how we come. We do not really want to see the power of God. We want to take the easy pill. We want someone to wave the magic wand and for it all to be taken care of. That's what Naaman wanted. Wave his hand over me. Cure the leper. And what Naaman hears is Elisha saying, there's a way for you to be clean. All you have to do is go to the river, the dirty river, the Jordan River, this nasty river that's just outside of town a little ways. Go there is what Naaman hears. Naaman hears, go there, get in the dirty river. When you come out after seven times, you'll be clean. And in Naaman's head, what he's thinking is, I did not come here to be clean. I came here to be cured. I came here to be restored. I came here to be brought back. You're not understanding what I'm saying. I don't want to be clean. I want to be cured. I want to be fixed. I want to be healed. And his servants say then in verse 13, servants come near and they say to him, my father, it's a great word that the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said, do you wash and be clean? Did you see that at the end of verse 12 there? Naaman says, could I wash in them and be clean? See, his mind says, clean. The servants say, has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? They're, I think they're gently reminding him. What did he really say? The servants are saying, what did the messenger that came from Elisha really say? If you go back and you look at it, in verse 10, the, the messenger that Elisha sent said, go wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. So the servants are saying, whoa, 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 you're, you're, you, you, you have this twisted up, Naaman. You're hearing, go and be clean. The message was, go and be restored, and you will be clean. So the message becomes clearer to Naaman. He hears what the servant says. And so, 
verse 14, he went down, he dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a gentle child, and he was clean. Naaman is healed and restored. His flesh is restored like that of a child, not because he goes and dips in the Jordan River seven times. The next leper could not go to the Jordan and dip in the river seven times. That action does not heal leprosy. The action is not what healed leprosy. It was belief in the God who is the God of all healings. It was faith. It was faith that God, the God of Elisha, would do what he said he would do. And he doesn't just stop the symptoms. At the end of that seventh time, when, when Naaman steps up out of the water, he doesn't look down and said, oh, the leprosy has stopped. It's not going to get any worse. The Bible tells us he was restored to the skin, to the skin of a child. He was completely healed. Completely healed. He had a complete restoration. One of the one of the things, the pictures here, I think, is that as Naaman moves on from that day, his skin doesn't have he doesn't have leprosy. He's completely changed. He's completely healed. But his skin doesn't stay as that of a child. I don't think he gets older. He goes through life. His skin continues to deteriorate, and he's going to get cut. He's going to be scarred. There's times for us, even after we're healed, after our souls have been, have been made new through the power of the gospel and through the power of Christ, there's still times where sin still takes a nick out of us, where sin, sin is still a battle that we have. We still fight that battle. We're, we're made new. We've been cleansed. The disease is gone, but there's still a battle that happens in there. So Naaman dips in the water seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man. His flesh is restored like the flesh of a little child and he was clean. And then in verse 15 we see his response. Then he returns to the man of God, he and all of his company, and he came and he stood before him and he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all of the earth but here in Israel. Naaman makes a confession that the majority of the people in Israel at this time, the people who live there that continue to worship all kinds of idols and all kinds of other gods, the ones that worship Baal and and every other thing under the sun, Naaman makes a confession that puts all of them to shame and he says, I know now there is no other God except your God. There's one true God. He is the God of Israel. Why? Why? Does God heal? Why does God cleanse Naaman? Why does he restore him to the flesh of a child? Why does he do that? Why does he take our sickness, our disease of our heart and our soul of sin? Why does he change that? It's right here. It's for this confession. Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. God heals, God restores, God changes, God saves so that he might be declared great. So that his glory might ring out in all of the world. So that we might say, 
Behold, I know that there is no God in all of earth except in Israel. Everyone in here today, everyone here comes like Naaman somewhere. At some point, all of us had a disease that we could not escape from. It disfigured everything that we know. It, it totally colored everything that we have, everything that we are. It was a sin we could not escape from. There was no healing. There was no way out of it. Every single one of us has a disease like Naaman had. Some of us have found the restoration and healing that comes from God, and some of us have not. The story, though, from Naaman gives us help. It gives us hope for each one of us that are here, no matter what side of the healing you come on. If you come today and you are still in the throes of that fatal disease, if you're still in the midst of sin and your heart has not been cleansed, there's hope for you today. And you can see it in this story. First is that you need to hear the message. Naaman heard what the girl said. He heard what she said, that there was a way for him to be healed. He, he heard it and he responded to it by going right away so that he might be able to go to Elisha. He heard it. And then he believed. He believed in the God who heals. Naaman's action did not save him. God did. Naaman had to believe. If you're here today and you are in the throes of your sickness and disease of sin, if your heart is filled with sin and you are there and you have not ever trusted in the hope that comes from Christ, you can hear it and you can believe today in the God who heals. And then you can declare there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. You can know that there's nowhere else for you to go. There's nowhere else for you to turn. There is no other hope. There's no way for you to be healed from your sickness except from God. Those three steps is all that you need to do today if you come in like Naaman did as he was sick. All of us come as Naaman today. Maybe you come with the disease that ravages you, but maybe you don't. Maybe you've had your sin cared for. Maybe your leprosy has been healed. Maybe the leprosy of your soul has been taken care of and cured you too can be encouraged by Naaman's response today. If you continue to look on in Second Kings chapter 5 there, Naaman says, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. So, he says to Elisha, accept now a present from your servant. He says, I have this $3.5 million worth of goods here. I want you to take a gift. And Elisha says, but as... But he said, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. So then Naaman says, If not, please let there be given to your servant two mule loads of earth. From now on, your servant will not offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any god except the Lord. In this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master goes into the house of Ramon to worship there, leaning on my arm, I, my, I bow myself in the house of Ramon. But when I bow myself in the house of Ramon, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. And Elisha says to him, you go in peace. Here's Naaman's response. He declares to God, there's no other God except the God of Israel. He is the one and only God. He's the one and only way. There's only one way for me to be cured and healed, and it's in God of Israel. 
And then he wants to give. His first response is, I want to give. I want to give a portion of what I have. Our response, our response as we are healed and changed by the gospel is that we want to give. We've received a blessing. We've received mercy. We have received grace. And so we want to give a blessing. We want to be merciful. We want to show grace. That's the response to the healing of our souls. Naaman doesn't, though, just want to give, but he wants to worship. In fact, it's all twisted up in his mind. He's, he's brand new in this, but he says, give me two mule loads. I want to take back two mule loads full of dirt from Israel so that I can build an altar when I get back to my own country because I'm, I'm going to go back to a place where, there is, where, where there's other idols and God, your God is not there, but I want to worship him there. So I want to have a part of Israel there so I can, so I can worship. Naaman wants to worship. Our call is to do the same. And Naaman wants his allegiance to be very clear. He says, when I go back, I'm, I'm still the king's right-hand man. I'm going to go back and my job is still going to be the same. And the king, he doesn't worship the one true God. And you can probably bet that Naaman is going to tell him over and over, you know, there's one God. He's in Israel. It's the God who cured my leprosy. It was the only way. It was the only hope. But he says, I'm going to be the king's right-hand man. There's going to be times when I have to go to this other temple and where he worships his God. And I just want it to be very clear, Naaman says. When I go there, when I bow down, I am not bowing down to another God. I want it to be very clear that when I bow down, I'm bowing down to the one true God, the only God, the God of Israel. My allegiance is clear. Our response today if you come on that side of the healing, if your sin has been cared for and you have understood the gospel, our response is the same. Let us give. Let us be merciful. Let us show grace. Let us worship consistently. And let our allegiance be clear. We serve the God of all salvations. It's his from beginning to end. All the deliverances of death come from him. He is the only hope, the only way, the only one to go to for cleansing and restoration. Our allegiance is clear. Our God saves. The worship team is going to lead us this morning. We're going to continue to sing about that God, the God, the great God who holds all of salvation in his hand. I invite you to stand with me this morning as we sing. God of highest heaven, occupy my lowly heart. Hold it all and reign supreme, conquer every rebel part. Let no vice or sin remain that resists your on your grace. Keep 
pray, God, that you will help each one of us in here, no matter how we come in, to know that there is a hope, there's a cleansing that's possible for the disease of sin that reigns in our heart and is only through you. And that, God, you will help us to rejoice in the healing that you have provided for us. To declare our allegiance, to say there is no God except the God of Israel. He is the one and only way. And go with us, God, and help us to rejoice in that. We pray this in your name. Thank you.